What's the point of this? I mean, it is fairly, fairly strong, isn't it? You would say. Blinding. Is it useful? Is it helpful? What about now? It doesn't help at all, does it? This, even if on, even if this, which would be to use it inappropriately, <laughs> this way, I've been told off by a car once that I had, I had this on my bike, and he said, that would trigger an epileptic fit, which it might actually, I hadn't realized that. So I don't use that anymore, I better put it away. Um, but even if on, here, wouldn't make any sense. That's not why it's made. That's where our passage begins. Jesus commands people to look at the light of the gospel. Look again at verse 16. He says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. And you've got this ancient Near Eastern home where it's probably one bedroom and everything happens in that one big room. And so if there's a light on, everyone's going to see it because there's no adjoining rooms if you're poor. We begin by thinking about the light of the good news of Jesus, which ties really well with a few weeks ago when Andy preached on the parable of the sower. And there were different soils, and you can respond to the gospel in different ways. But what is our attitude to what Jesus says? If you look back at verse 9 of that same chapter that we're on, chapter 8 of Luke, look at what happens there. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. They asked him. They wanted to know. They wanted to engage with the light of the gospel. And Jesus says, in our passage in verse 16, God's heart is to put light on a stand so that those who come in can see and hear about Jesus and know of their sin and know of his salvation, know of his forgiveness, know of eternal life. Jesus is, light, Jesus is the light of the world and his gospel is for everybody. But the question that we've got is, how do you listen? Jesus says in verse 18, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Are we listening well? Back then, that would have looked like being around Jesus, following him around and ask him, teach me, master. Like the disciples saying, can you explain what this means? I want to know. I want to be close to you. I want to be close to God. And you are him. And now he says here, what a privilege. Verse 10. God, the, king, the secrets of the kingdom of God, has been given to us. To them originally, when Jesus preached to them and taught them, and to us here in the scriptures, when we read it. But how do we make sure that we are, as verse 18 says, considering carefully how we listen? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to tell you a few things. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, we worship you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that your heart, as we can already see in that short segment, is to put the light of the gospel somewhere visible for all to see. That's why anyone can meet the Lord Jesus, no matter where they are in the world. 
we pray now that as we speak from your scriptures, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and that we would have the attitude of learning from you. Transform us, change us, challenge us, rebuke us as you have been. In the name of Jesus we pray, Father. Amen. So Jesus' family um, is really helpful in teaching us this. Let's read verses 19 to 21 again. How wonderful. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And so if you, like me, were reading verse 18 and you're going, I want to listen carefully. I want to check my heart. I want, to, I want God to go to work on my heart. Well then, we find here in these verses how to do it. Jesus says, you've got to hear what he's saying. Back then, being around Jesus, you're putting yourself in a position where Jesus can teach you, rebuke you, challenge you, encourage you, comfort you, whatever God knows you need. For us today, it's every time we engage with the word of God. We read it and we listen to it read. When we sing the truths within here, when we speak these words to one another in our community that belongs to Jesus, when we memorize it and guard our hearts by reciting it to us. And so we hear God's word. That's how we listen carefully. We're engaging with it. Number two, in verse 21, what do we do? We put it into practice. We're not like, as James says in chapter 1, verse 22, the person who merely listens to the word and so deceives themselves, but we seek to do what it says, always asking God for help. So we hear God's word, we put it into practice. We, verse 18, praise God for what we know. Look at that again. In verse 18, Jesus speaks to us and he says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. If you know of Jesus, if you're here this evening and you are hearing something of God's word, that's light. You have something. If you desire more of God, he has promised to give you more light. We want to praise God for what we do know and for the assurance that if you want to know more of God, he will reveal, he has promised. Like Psalm 27, when David says, my greatest desire, one thing I ask of the Lord, and it's to be in his temple, in his presence, gazing at his beauty. For us, that's gazing at the beauty of God through the scriptures, in prayer, in song, in community. But if you do that, you're going to have to be patient. Because in verse 17, we know there are lots of things that are not disclosed. Lots of things we would love to know. A few weeks ago, I referred... Um, to you a passage where, oh, actually, it wasn't here. I beg your pardon. It wasn't here. We were speaking through uh, 1 to Samuel at summer camp, um, and one of the questions that I would love to know, that passage where David says that he's lost his son, but he will go to him. What happens to all children when they die? I don't know. That's not disclosed. And yet... God calls me to be patient with the questions that are not disclosed because there will come a day when every mystery that matters will be revealed 
in our never-ending joyful relationship with God forever. So how do you listen carefully? You hear God's word, you put it into practice, you praise God for what you know, you are patient with what God has said. I will not reveal that now. But lastly, look at verse 21. The close relationship of family in the ancient Near East, I mean, that was paramount. That was like the relation, mother and brothers, right? Even today. Here Jesus says, if you want to be intimate as family with me, here is what you do. Here, and obey my word. And that means we have the ability to rejoice at our closeness with Jesus because we are seeking to hear and to, to obey. That reminds me of this book. I haven't read it in a long time, but one of the Chronicles of Narnia, um, one of the series, is The Silver Chair. And as you can see on the cover here, in The Silver Chair, you've got this black knight. Very menacing, very um, threatening to the main characters of the story. But early on in the story, they meet with Aslan, who represents Jesus, and he says to Jill, the little girl, one of the protagonists in the story, you must remember as you go on this journey to free the prince, the right, the right prince of, the, the, uh, the true prince of Narnia, you must remember my signs. So she has to memorize and rehearse Aslan's four signs. And through and through the story, she is remembering, she is going through it, She's listening carefully, but when the time comes and she meets the very scary black knight who has to be tied to a chair at night because he goes mental at night, it's then that she remembers. He screams, release me, release me. She is scared to death of this knight. But when he says, by Aslan, I adjure you, release me, she goes, that's one listening carefully because she was listening carefully she releases him and they find that he is the son of prince caspian prince william of narnia because she was listening carefully jesus is saying if you don't listen carefully there are consequences in verse 18 if you have no desire for the light if you have no desire to engage with the words of Jesus, but you look at the Bible to prove what you want or to prove what your culture wants, what you think you know and the assurance that you think you have with God will be taken away. It will be shown for what it is, fake. In verse 20 or 21, someone might have been mistaken. Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. You might have been mistaken for thinking that all the family of Jesus is just those who are somehow blood-related to him. Much like many people today are mistaken in thinking, I'm part of God's family because I inherited this faith from my parents. No. Jesus says, you can only become my family when I have transformed your heart and you seek to hear and obey my word. So there is this kind of beware at the same time as if you are a follower of Jesus, rejoice in these things. In the next sections of our um, passage this evening, we're going to find out what can you expect to happen when you listen to what Jesus commands, when you listen carefully to him. Well, the first thing you want to think about is listen to him when life rages. That's our next bit of our passage there. Now, 
some of you are a little bit older than me, and so I'm kind of banking on the fact that being from a developing country, some of the things that you watched when you were children are the things that I watched when I was a child because we took a while to pay for copyrights and all that kind of stuff, and it took a while to migrate to our television sets, right? So some of you may know who these people are. Look at this for a second. Who's that? Anybody? Nobody. Chuck Norris, yes, Chuck Norris. If you, if you loved martial arts movies, you would have been seeing Chuck Norris just kick people and do all sorts of karate stuff. But then, if you don't know Chuck Norris, you may know this guy. Oh, see, Agnieszka over there. She's on point. Bruce Lee and the characteristic, Whoa, right, that he used to do. Absolutely, another fighter. Yet for some of you, you if you don't know this, should be ashamed. Who is this man? Six feet seven, boxer, heavyweight world champion two times, Tyson Fury. Okay, massive, enormous guy. I mean, six foot seven, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? How, how does he fit anywhere? Now, here's the thing if you're one of those fighters, do you think that if someone challenged them to a fight, would they tend to be scared of a fight or no? Would they be scared of a fight? Probably not. Probably not really. Do you think that if one of these guys challenged me to a fight, would I be scared? <laughs> of course I would be terrified. Are you nuts? Size of the people, right? Absolutely. I would be terrified. Now here's the thing. If I'm walking and it's 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, it's the winter time, it's dark, and opposite me comes running, first Tyson Fury, then someone that looks like Chuck Norris, then someone that looks like Bruce Lee, and they're going, Mommy! Am I going to go down that alley? No, because whatever is down there, if these three guys cannot handle, I cannot for the life of me but be dismembered by whatever monster is down there. Now, here is the crazy thing. In this passage we have, in a boat, fishermen who experienced with a lifetime experience of storms, of difficulty, of um, finding fish, not finding fish, being in danger. You put me on a boat, I mean, I went to Puffin Island to try and see some puffins. There were none there. And I was puking outside the boat. Didn't help I had eaten a cookie. But I'm made of nothing strong. But these guys, when they find themselves in the middle of a storm, here is what they shout. Verse 24. Master, master, we are going to drown. If these guys think they're going to drown, they really are in great danger. And in great danger, the question that Jesus asks is, where is your faith? Where is your trust? Who do you trust? Where do you put your hope? So for them, I find amazing, middle of the storm, life is raging, right, for them. It's dangerous, it's awful. 
Jesus is sleeping. Yet, we're familiar with this story, but who is responsible for them being in a storm? Jesus goes, guys, let's get on the boat. This is the same Jesus that in Luke chapter 6 knows the thoughts of the religious leaders around him. So he knows everything. He knows they're going to be in a pickle. He knows they're going to be in a storm. He wants, it seems, for them to be in a storm. You might be quite upset if Jesus was your friend and he put you in a storm, but he was the one who said, let's go over. And then verse 23, a squall comes down on the lake. Can you just tell the person next to you, why would Jesus lead his followers into a storm? Why would he do that? Just 30 seconds to the person next to you. Go for it. Well then, I wonder what you said. I wish we had time to listen to everything you said. But here is something that caught my eye as I was thinking about this. One of the very fishermen who was in that boat answered the question like this. Here is what he says. In all this, you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I would have called that storm and thinking you're going to die suffering. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's the Apostle Peter. He wrote that. He also wrote this. Still in 1 Peter, chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So it's crazy to think that Jesus had led them into a storm so that he could teach them what it means to have faith when you fear even for your life, being in trying situations, as we've heard from Psalm 30 this morning, can reveal to us and show, like a, like a toothpaste tube, where to know what's inside, you squeeze it, and you'll see what was inside there. And in a storm, we are squeezed, the disciples certainly were, and where their faith was came to the surface. But number two, Jesus, who is so merciful and kind to us, teaches us to listen to him when life rages. So while they were in great danger, they say, Jesus, wake up, we're going to drown. And Jesus answered. He taught them the power of his words. I wonder if that's you, if that's me. There certainly have been occasions this year already where I will have been in a storm but forgotten to cry out. Forgotten that actually I think that Jesus is in my boat. But no, if I'm a follower of Jesus, he's leading me. I'm in his boat. 
He's sleeping. He's there. He's in complete control. But we may be frustrated that he is sleeping. Just like if you were here last week, Jairus will have been frustrated that Jesus was helping this woman and not his own child. Does trusting even a sleeping Jesus doesn't seem to be very active right now make a difference to your life? If not, we have forgotten what his words can do when life is raging at us. I don't want to say that the disciples hadn't been trusting Jesus. They had been following Jesus for however long up to this point. And no doubt they'd been listening and taking in. But I think what challenges me is that I can be trusting Jesus now and tomorrow face a situation that so overwhelms me that I forget everything I know. And that's why my prayer for you and for me is that if we're followers of Jesus, we'll remember we're in his boat. He is the powerful one. But if you're not yet a follower, I hope that as verse 25 says, you're going to be amazed as you look at him. If you don't trust him yet, be amazed at how if you did trust him, look at how if they can entrust their very lives to him, is there anything they can't entrust to Jesus? If you're not yet a follower though, notice that there was also what? Alongside amazement? Fear. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? That looks at the world not being as it should, nature threatening to kill, and he says, I will shut you down with a word. Similarly, in other parts of the scriptures, we see that those who are also against him, just as quietly as he told the waves to shut up, so will he do with all of his enemies. They are the very storm that's working against him. And it says when Jesus returns, this fear, without the amazement, will be the fear of everybody who was not prepared in Jesus' wake, listening to him when life rages. So here's what one commentator, um, how one commentator says, the options are for us, either we trust him or we face the storm on our own. When you put it like that, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? I don't want to face the storms of life on my own. I can't. I would perish. And at the end of time, the biggest storm, the wrath of God, I wouldn't be able to face without being clothed in the love of Jesus. Therefore, listen to Jesus when life rages. But also, listen to the Jesus who saves completely. He is the one who saves by undoing everything that is wrong with us and with the world. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, and if so, recently, had a day where, or a week, where everything is going wrong? Has that, has that happened to you? Has that happened to you perhaps recently? I wonder. Let me tell you about mine. I'm having a great time in Brazil, right? I'm sunbathing, I'm eating lots of exotic fruit and, you know, everything that is kind of endemic to my region. Loving it. And towards the end of our holiday, like two or three things just went nuts. My seven-year-old niece got a stomach tumor and we were like, 
what is this? What is happening? Nobody knows. Is it, is it malignant? Is it benign? What is it? Can they remove it? When? And then we get all of that stuff done and out of the way, and we think it's benign, and then it gets removed and all that stuff. Brilliant. And then my dad had a heart attack towards the end of our holiday. Feels something burning in his stomach, drives himself to hospital. Drives himself <laughs> to hospital. Dads, what are we going to do with them? And as soon as he walks in, they do a few tests and they say, you better sit down because we're going to operate right now. And we find later, after his angioplasty, that 90% of his arteries are blocked. How do you do that? Dad, oh, please. Two days later, they have to do another one and put a stent. Just when you think that you're having a great time or that you got over something, something else comes along. And it's like now my uncle that has Alzheimer's has had a severe fever and is in um, the intensive care unit. You think, man, will it ever stop? You just imagine. This is exactly, I imagine, what the poor disciples are going through as they learn this lesson. They've just faced this awful storm. They thought they were going to die. They get to the other side <laughs> only to get a massive shock the boat arrives you just put your foot out of the boat when in the distance you just hear and you're like James what is going on the wind is just carrying a loud moan what is that? I mean if this is at night I am undone already. But wait, the man who comes from a distance not only may have chains hanging from him, he is naked, dirty, and screaming. How do you feel at this point? Just tell the person next to you as the lights come on. How do you feel? I mean, one of my mentors, who actually was instrumental in bringing me to this country, told me of once going out to evangelize in the city center of York. And he gets there into the city center, and there is a dude and a group holding a chain. <laughs> and he's just doing this, and he's going, Oi! Are you the God squad then? <laughs> and he's going, he's going home. No, we're not. We're going home. Because this is how you feel when someone like this, threatening, is shouting at you, what do you want with me? This is what you would think. Look at verse 28 and tell me who is actually scared. Who's scared? That demon. Isn't that mind-boggling? Isn't that mind-boggling? I think of how dark powers of evil are portrayed in all of these movies, The Exorcist, 
or, you know, the latest one on Netflix, The Sandman or John Constantine. The demons are powerful and they're screaming and they're scary and they're, you know, not afraid of anything. These demons and this man meet Jesus and they say, I beg you, don't torture me. Don't send me to the abyss. Can you see that? That's in verse 31. They beg Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss, the realm of the dead. Because if the disciples had asked the question on the boat, who is this? The demon has answered. Can you see the answer there? He is the son of the most high God who can throw demons back into the abyss. And there are lots of things I don't know about this passage that I wish I knew. What is this whole thing about the pigs? Why pigs? Why is it that on this occasion, they get to repeatedly beg Jesus? I don't know why Jesus lets these demons, if they are legion and that's representative of a number, then 6,500 is the number of a legion in soldiers, Roman Empire. Why is it that Jesus allows this? I don't know. I do know this. This passage is telling us we must listen to Jesus because only Jesus can save completely. Only Jesus can reverse everything that is dark and evil about this man's life. Only Jesus can touch every area of life and undo what evil has done. Look at this poor guy, verse 29. Demons had seized him many times. No one in his community could help him or even hold him back because of his super strength, his breaking chains. And yet, we find in this passage, Jesus is the one who can rescue with his powerful words. But notice this. What this man needs is much more than just the cancellation of a debt or a ticket to heaven. He needs Jesus to undo all of this stuff in his life. So he needs a rescuer who would answer the question of verse 28. What is it you want with me? Who would answer it like this? Listen to 1 John 3.8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I love that. That makes a Pentecostal man out of him. To destroy the devil's work. Hallelujah. Jesus is able to punch the devil in the face. Because look at this poor man. In our TV, demon possessions and the powers of darkness are very scary. Here, this man is not scary to Jesus, but look at it. Follow it with me. Verse 27, he has many demons. He has no clothes. He is humiliated. This man is naked. He's in the tombs, unclean. He has no house, no place to call home. He's alone, he's unloved, he is homeless. In verse 28, he is screaming, taken over by other voices, not his own. And in verse 29, even though he can escape his physical chains, he's imprisoned by demons that, demons that drive him to places where he is alone, to solitary places. And yet, after he meets Jesus, who has come 
to destroy the work of the devil. Here is the work of Jesus. Look at verse 35. People saw that the demons had gone. That aspect of the fall of living in a sinful world was undone. He is now clothed. His humiliation was taken away. He is free to go home because Jesus tells this man, go and tell everybody in the town. You can go home. There is now a community. Verse 35, he's not screaming anymore. What is he doing now? Sitting and learning at Jesus' feet. And he's doing that in his right mind. They all saw that the man had been Look at verse 36, the very last word in the NIV, cured. But that Greek word is a word that can mean cured, saved, rescued. Because what I'm putting to you this evening is that sometimes we think of being a Christian as this is a ticket to heaven and it's all about when I die. That would have been nonsense to this guy. He would have said, no, Jesus changed everything about me. I was naked in chains, in tombs, without anybody. And Jesus has changed all of this stuff. There's no area of my life that Jesus has not touched. How would you feel if you were that man? Little Tiago was in primary school, eating his coxinha which is um, a lovely chicken snack that's deep fried. When suddenly, little me gets sharp pains in my tummy. I'm writhing at this point on the ground. They call my family. I'm rushed to hospital. It is what? A burst appendix. We do a successful operation. And then a few days later, another operation, because somehow there's full of pus in there. I hope you're not going to have dinner after this. But how do you think I felt towards the doctor who came and spoke with me after all was said and done? Man, was I grieved. I said to him, Dr. Joubert, eu quero ser um médico. Dr. Joubert, I want to be a doctor like you. I managed to become a sort of a spiritual doctor. I can't help you unless it's first aid with your physical ailments, but with your spiritual ailments, I can point you to Jesus. I was grateful. This guy at the end of our passage, look at it, verses 38, 39. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much God, Jesus, who is God, had done for him. There was gratitude there. There was love. And that's us if we know Jesus. But here's what shocks me as we bring this to a close. Throughout my time as a youth worker, I have, and a children's worker, I have met parents who look at other people's faithful Christian kids and they go, I want my kids to go to whatever that club is doing and it's making that kid like that. Some parents are like that. I just want my kid to learn whatever those kids are learning because they are lovely. And yet, I have also met other parents. Other parents who would see a faithful Christian child obeying their parents and reciting the scriptures, singing it. And they would say, 
I don't want any of this brainwashing in my family. They will never go through anything vaguely spiritual. Because if they do, whatever this is, is going to demand something from my child, from my family, from me, that I don't want to give. Here, these Gentiles have just lost a whole herd of pigs. They couldn't see, possibly, what they stood to gain by listening to Jesus, who can save completely, who can save and rescue every aspect of their fallen lives. So instead, they told Jesus, go, leave. And I think Jesus did the scariest thing that I can find in all of the scriptures. Verse 37. He got into the boat and left. That's scary because that means those people who are perhaps here this evening or whom we know who would say, Jesus, I just don't want anything to do with you. Jesus gets in the boat and he leaves. Even though mercifully, he leaves someone to tell the story of the gospel to continue to give them light. So I wonder as we finish, which will we be? Eager, people who are eager for Jesus to touch every area of our lives, like this man, so that we will be a trophy of the grace of God. Yes, God, come and touch any area of my life. Show me where I'm going wrong. Show me where I'm not trusting you. Show me which storm is in my life right now that I'm just forgetting that you are powerful. Or are we people who are eager for Jesus and his words to leave? My prayer is that we will do this. Listen carefully to the words of Jesus. That we're going to listen when life rages at us. And we remember, Jesus is still there in his boat. And that number three, we're going to listen to Jesus knowing he saves completely. Every area of our lives, he can put his hand for good until he's finished with us in eternity.